Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Sound travels slowly, so that it was some time before he heard an answering glibber. But it came at last, and before long, he was told that a rope ladder would be lowered. The wait for this was very tense, since there was no way of telling what might have been stirred up among those bones by his shouting. Indeed, it was not long before he actually did hear a vague rustling far off. As this thoughtfully approached, he became more and more uncomfortable, for he did not wish to move away from the spot where the ladder would come. Finally, the tension grew almost unbearable, and he was about to flee in panic when the thud of something on the newly heaped bones nearby drew his notice from the other sound. It was the ladder, and after a minute of groping, he had it taut in his hand. But the other sound did not cease, and followed him even after he climbed. He had gone fully five feet from the ground when the rattling beneath waxed emphatic. It was a good ten feet up when something swayed the ladder from below. At a height which must have been fifteen or twenty feet, he felt his whole side brushed by a great slippery length which grew alternately convex and concave with wriggling. And thereafter he climbed desperately to escape the unendurable nuzzling of that loathsome and overfed bowl whose form no man might see. For hours he climbed with aching arms and blistered hands, seeing again the gray death fire and Thok's uncomfortable pinnacles. At last, he discerned above him the projecting edge of the great crag of the ghouls, whose vertical side he could not glimpse. And hours later, he saw a curious face peering over it as a gargoyle peers over a parapet of Notre Dame. This almost made him lose his hold through faintness. But a moment later, he was himself again. For his vanished friend, Richard Pickman, had once introduced him to a ghoul. And he knew well their canine faces and slumping forms and unmentionable idiosyncrasies. So he had himself well under control when that hideous thing pulled him out of the dizzy emptiness over the edge of the crag and did not scream at the partly consumed refuse heaped at one side or at the squatting circles of ghouls who gnawed and watched curiously. He was now on a dim, litten plain whose sole topographical features were great boulders and the entrances of burrows. The ghouls were in general respectful even if one did attempt to pitch him, while several others eyed his leanness speculatively. Through patient glibbering, he made inquiries regarding his vanished friend, and found he had become a ghoul of some prominence in abysses nearer the waking world. A greenish, elderly ghoul offered to conduct him to Pickman's present habitation, so despite a natural loathing, he followed the creature into a capacious burrow 
and crawled after him for hours in the blackness of rank mold. They emerged on a dim plain strewn with singular relics of earth, old gravestones, broken urns, and grotesque fragments of monuments. And Carter realized with some emotion that he was probably nearer the waking world than at any other time since he had gone down the 700 steps from the Cavern of Flame to the gate of deeper slumber. There, on a tombstone of 1768, stolen from the granary burying ground in Boston, sat the ghoul, which was once the artist, Richard Upton Pickman. It was naked and rubbery, and had acquired so much of the ghoulish physicality that its human origin was already obscure. But it still remembered a little English, and he was able to converse with Carter and grunts in monosyllables, helped out now and then by the glimmering of ghouls. When it learned that Carter wished to get to the Enchanted Wood, and from there to the city Celephias in Uthnargai, beyond the Tenarian Hills, it seemed rather doubtful for these ghouls of the waking world do no business in the graveyards of Upper Dreamland, leaving that to the webbed-footed womps that are spawned in dead cities, and many things intervene betwixt their gulf and the enchanted wood, including the terrible kingdom of the Gugs. The Gugs, hairy and gigantic, once reared stone circles in that wood and made strange sacrifices to the other gods, in the crawling chaos Nilarthotep, until one night an abomination of theirs reached the ears of Earth's gods, and they were banished to the caverns below. Only a great trapdoor of stone with an iron ring connects the abyss of the Earth ghouls with the enchanted wood, and this the Gugs are afraid to open because of a curse that a mortal dreamer could traverse their cavern realm and leave by that door is inconceivable, for mortal dreamers were their former food, and they have legends of the toothsomeness of such dreamers, even though banishment has restricted their diet to these ghasts, those repulsive beings which die in the light, and which live in the vaults of Zin, and leap on long hind legs like kangaroos. So the ghoul that was Pikmin advised Carter either to leave the abyss at Sarcomand, a deserted city in the valley below Lang, where black nitrous stairways guarded by winged diorite lions lead down from dreamland to the lower gulfs, or to return through a churchyard to the waking world and begin the quest anew down the seventy steps of light slumber to the cavern of flame, and the seven hundred steps to the gate of deeper slumber and the enchanted wood. This, however, did not suit the seeker, for he knew nothing of the way from Lang to Uthnargai, and was likewise reluctant to awake, lest he forget all the heat so far gained in this dream. It were disastrous to this quest to forget the august and celestial faces of those seamen from the north, those who traded onyx and celephias, and who, being the sons of gods, must point the way to the cold waste and Kadath, where the great ones dwell. After much persuasion 
the ghoul consented to guide his guest inside the great wall of the Guggs' kingdom. There was one chance that Garter might be able to steal through that twilight realm of circular stone towers. Maybe at an hour, when the giants would be all gorged and snoring indoors, and he could reach the central tower with a sign of Koth upon it, which has the stairs leading up to that stone trap door within the enchanted wood. Pikmin even consented to lend three ghouls to help with the tombstone lever in raising the stone door. For of ghouls, the gugs are somewhat afraid, and they often flee from their own colossal graveyards when they see a fasting bear. He also advised Carter to disguise himself as a ghoul, shaving the beard he had allowed to grow, for ghouls have none, wallowing naked in the mold to get the correct surface, and lopping in the usual slumping way, with his clothing carried in a bundle, as if it were a choice morsel from a tomb. They would reach the city of the Gugs, which is coterminous with the entire kingdom, through the proper burrows, emerging in a cemetery not far from the stair-containing tower of Koth. They must beware, however, of a large cave near the cemetery, for this is the mouth of the vaults of Zin, and the vindictive ghasts are always on watch there, seeking murderously for those denizens of the upper abyss who hunt and prey upon them. The ghasts try to come outside when the gugs sleep, and they attack ghouls as readily as gugs, for they cannot discriminate. They are very primitive, and eat one another. The gugs have a sentry at a narrow place in the vaults of Zin, and he is often drowsy, and is sometimes surprised by a party of ghasts. Though ghasts cannot live in real light, they can endure the gray twilight of the abyss for hours. So at length, Carter crawled through an endless burrow, with three hopeful ghouls bearing the slate gravestone of Colonel Nehemiah Derby, 1719, from the Charter Street burying ground in Salem. When they came again into open twilight, they were in a forest of vast, lichened monoliths, reaching nearly as high as the eye could see, and forming the modest gravestones of the Gugs. On the right of the hole out of which they wriggled, and seen through aisles of monoliths, there was a stupendous vista of cyclopean round towers mounting up illimitable into the gray air of inner earth. This was the great city of the Gugs, whose doorways are thirty feet high. Ghouls come here often, for a buried Gug will feed a community for almost a year. And even with the added peril, it is better to burrow for Gugs than to bother with the graves of men. Carter now understood the occasional titan bones he had felt beneath him in the Vale of Benath. Straight ahead, and just outside the cemetery, rose a sheer perpendicular cliff, at whose base an immense and forbidding cavern yawned. This the ghouls told Carter to avoid as much as possible since it was the entrance to the unhallowed vaults of Zin, where Gugs hunt ghasts in the darkness. And truly, that warning was soon well justified, for the moment a ghoul began to creep towards the towers, 
to see if the hour of the gog's resting had been rightly timed. There glowed in the gloom of that great cavern's mouth first one pair of yellowish-red eyes, and then another, implying that the gugs were one century less, and that ghasts have indeed an excellent sharpness of smell. So the ghoul returned to the burrow, and motioned his companions to be silent. It was best to leave the ghasts to their own devices, and there was a possibility that they might soon withdraw they must naturally be rather tired after coping with a gug century in the black vaults. After a moment, something about the size of a small horse hopped out into the gray twilight. Carter turned sick at the aspect of that scabrous and unwholesome beast, whose face is so curiously human despite the absence of a nose, a forehead, and other important particulars. Presently, Three other ghasts hopped out to join their fellow, and a ghoul gibbered softly at Carter that their absence of battle scars was a bad sign. It proved that they had not fought the Gug sentry at all, but merely slipped past him as he slept. Their strength and savagery were still unimpaired, and would remain so until they had found and disposed of a victim. It was very unpleasant to see those filthy and disproportioned animals, which soon numbered about fifteen. They grubbed about, and made their kangaroo leaps in the gray twilight, where tightened towers and monoliths arose. But it was still more unpleasant when they spoke among themselves in the coughing gutturals of ghasts. And yet, horrible as they were, they were not so horrible as what presently came out of the cave after them, with disconcerting suddenness. It was a paw, fully two feet and a half across, and equipped with formidable talons. After it came another paw, and after that, a great black-furred arm, to which both of the paws were attached by short forearms. Then two pink eyes shone, and the head of the awakened Gug sentry, large as a barrel, wobbled into view. The eyes jutted two inches from each side, shaded by bony protuberances overgrown with coarse hairs. But the head was chiefly terrible because of the mouth. That mouth had great yellow fangs, and ran from the top of the bottom of the head, opening vertically instead of horizontally. But before that unfortunate Gug could emerge from the cave and rise to his full twenty feet, the vindictive gasps were upon him. Carter feared for a moment that he would give an alarm and arouse all of his kin until a ghoul softly glibbered that Gugs have no voice but talk by means of facial expression. The battle which then ensued was a truly frightful one. From all sides, the venomous gas rushed feverishly at the creeping gug, nipping and tearing with their muzzles. They mauled, murderously, with their hard, pointed hooves. All the time they coughed excitedly, screaming when the great, vertical mouth of the gug would occasionally bite into one of their number. The noise of the combat would surely have aroused the sleeping city, had not the weakening of the sentry begun to transfer the action 
farther and farther within the cavern. As it was, the tumult soon receded altogether from sight in the blackness, with only occasional evil echoes to mark its continuance. Then the most alert of the ghouls gave the signal for all to advance, and Carter followed the loping three out of the forest of Monolis and into the dark, noisome streets of that awful city, whose rounded towers of cyclopean stone soared up beyond sight. Silently, they shambled over that rough rock pavement, hearing with disgust the abominable, muffled snortings from great black doorways which marked the slumber of the gods. Apprehensive of the ending of the rest hour, the ghouls set a somewhat rapid pace, but even so, the journey was no brief one, for distances in that town of giants are on a great scale. At last, however, they came to a somewhat open space before a tower, even vaster than the rest, above whose colossal doorway was fixed a monstrous symbol in bass relief, which made one shudder without knowing its meaning. This was the central tower with the sign of God, and those huge stone steps just visible through the dusk within were the beginning of the great flight leading to Upper Dreamland and the Enchanted Wood. There now began a climb of interminable length and utter blackness, made almost impossible by the monstrous size of the steps, which were fashioned for gugs, and which were therefore nearly a yard high. Of their number, Carter could form no just estimate, for he soon became so worn out that the tireless, and elastic ghouls were forced to aid him. All through the endless climb there lurked the peril of detection and pursuit, for though no gug dares lift a stone door to the forest because of the Great One's curse, there are no such restraints concerning the tower or the steps, and escaped guests are often chased even to the very top. So sharp are the ears of gugs, that the bare feet and hands of the climbers might readily be heard when the city awoke. And it would, of course, take but little time for the striding giants, accustomed from their ghast hunts in the vaults of Zin to seeing without light, to overtake their smaller and slower quarry on those cyclopean steps. It was very depressing to reflect that the silent pursuing gods would not be heard at all but would come very suddenly and shockingly in the dark upon the climbers. Nor could the traditional fear of gugs for ghouls be depended upon in that peculiar place, where the advantages lay so heavily with the gugs. There was also some peril from the furtive and venomous guests, which frequently hopped up in the tower during the sleep hour of the gugs. If the gugs slept long, and the gas returned soon from their deed in the cavern. The scent of the climbers might easily be picked up by those loathsome and ill-disposed things, in which case it would almost be better to be eaten by a gog. And this, my darlings, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet 
and creepy dreams.